Well, good morning, everybody. Today is uh, July 6, 2022, and uh, today we've got one of my oldest friends. This is JC Weiser. Uh, JC and I met back in the late 90s when we were both working at a computer store in the Carbondale, Illinois Mall. And uh, he has uh, gone on to do um, a lot of cool stuff uh, since he left. Uh, Blue Chip Micro was the name of this, the, the store, and then it became Cyber Systems. And uh, uh, we both kind of cut our teeth uh, fixing people's computers and having fun uh, at the Carbondale Mall doing all sorts of random stuff to the, the landscape for IT and technology sales and service and that type of stuff was a lot different back then. So I guess, uh, JC, um, we'll start right there. I mean, you have a long history with technology. Uh, hey, Monica, good to have you here. This is JC. Um, tell us about like, you know, have you always been interested in technology? I think your, your, your family was interested in technology, right? Was it your dad or something or? Yeah, it was uh, my grandfather who was a okay. farmer kind of up, up north in Illinois. Um, he, what happened to him? He fell, he was climbing up a grain bin back in the 80s and he fell and broke uh, both of his ankles. Um, and so he was a guy that always had to be moving. So he was kind of set, set in stone, uh, couldn't leave the house for a good six weeks or, you know, something like that. And at that point, he kind of started got, getting into um uh, computers with you know Apple, Lisa, all the old old Mac stuff, um, and just kind of got hooked on it. And so I was a kid going up there in the summer, and kind of got me involved, got me hooked on it too. And so he got kind of had a lifelong obsession with with uh, with Apple, um, and that kind of rubbed off on me. And then um, you know just kind of really enjoyed it because it was you know it was always changing, right? It was always something different. Some new technology came out or some new hardware or, or something that that really changed um and and uh, so that's kind of kind of how i got my start and and that brought you to uh carbondale where we met and uh separately jc's little brother john uh is one of our itech our ist alumni and he works for the same company you'd been working for he's still there right he is yep at, at worldwide technologies uh he does database stuff still he does. Yep. Right. Oracle Cloud, I think. Everything's going to move to the cloud now, so Oracle Cloud. Okay. And I, I messaged him twice and asked him if he'd come and do this too, but I think he's a little more nervous than... <laughs> than yeah, I'll have to give, I'll give him trouble. Do it, do it. Um, so so you, I, I remember, you know, you, you started out with, with networking and um, you you left the, the Carbondale computer scene and, you know, this class is kind of a, a talk about career paths and what you've done and what you do and advice for students and, and what the real world's like. So you got your, your you know, you, you, you got your start in, in the Carbondale computing scene, uh, fixing computers and installing little networks and stuff. And then you moved on up to yep. St. Louis. Do you want to tell us a little bit kind of what brought you to where you are today, which I'll let you tell what you're up to today. Yep. Get there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So uh, after leaving Carbondale, uh, I got a job at uh, MEMC Electronics. So uh, really unique company. They actually made, they're, they're based out of St. Peter's, uh, uh, Missouri, and they build uh, silicone wafers for Intel and, and chip manufacturers. So it's a 
kind of a hodgepodge of, of traditional like uh, manufacturing along with high tech, right? And so it really was just doing IT support. They had old Zebra printers and all, all kinds of just, you know, hardware stuff that, that needed to be fixed on the manufacturing lines where they spin up these giant silicone blocks all the way down to a clean room where you had to put on a, um, a you know, a suit and walk through an airlock, get brushed off and then go in and, and work on computers. And so um, it was it was really interesting to just kind of see how technology kind of integrated with with a manufacturing process and how important it really was. I mean, if if something as simple as as you know the network went down or you know these uh, label make maker printers went down, the whole lines would shut down, right? And, and you have you know a half a team of uh, thirty men and women just sitting there not being able to do anything. And so it really just kind of drove home how important technology was and um, and uh, and how entrenched in, in it is in, into uh, manufacturing in, in almost all parts of our, our uh, business now. And then from there, um, went and worked at AT&T. Um, and that was probably in, uh, worked there for about eight years, so about 2008. Did, um, you know, kind of started off the same thing, you know, kind of support desk, just getting my feet in the door and then moved on to, um, um, you know, Microsoft administration. Um, and then, was there rolling out some of their um, uh, fiber and TV services? Um, they had a lot of need for people that that knew uh, large data center um, storage arrays, and I really didn't have any background in that, but I kind of dove into that, and that's that's really where I started to focus on uh, over the next you know 15 or so years. Uh, it was really around Dell EMC, NetApp, HP, but really these large large storage arrays that tie into databases and applications and, and all the, on all how it gets connected and things like that. So, um, you know, you spent probably eight years that, that you know, doing that. Um, and then from there, I moved on to uh, worldwide technology. So they were kind of a startup at the time. I think there's only 500 people, but they're really 500. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a smaller company back then, but their, their role really was a uh, really just a, a vendor that ties all these different pieces together. You'd always have, so like when I was at AT&T, you'd have, you know, maybe Dell would come in and say, you need to do it this way. HP would come in, well, come and say, you need to do it this way with our products. Uh, but really what, what customers wanted and what we used was just a hodgepodge of both, you know, maybe an HP server with Dell uh, or uh, EMC at the time, storage with Cisco networking, but building kind of these architectures that, that tie together. And that's really what Worldwide Technologies focused on was just that vendor agnostic uh, overall IT solutions and help kind of tie that together. Um, so I spent um, 13 years there doing that uh, across, um, started out kind of the same thing with the data center side, um, and then finished up kind of doing um, Cyber Vault um, and Cyber Resiliency really picked up in the last two years. And uh, Worldwide was a, a, a great place because they were always looking for new solutions for our customers. And if, as an engineer, if, if you found something that that could add value to your customers. Um, you know, they they kind of let you run loose and kind of figure out what that looks like. So you had kind of, you know, kind of an open open playbook to kind of go figure this out for customers. Um, and then right now I'm um, just taking a little time off. I wasn't ready to start traveling again. So um, as of January, um, I've been kind of taking a little sabbatical. Not ready to hit, hit the airports anymore. <laughs> sabbatical that's fun and i i i think i'd said semi-retired slash sabbatical yeah. something like that um go. that's that's pretty cool so um that's a lot you've done a lot and and we've got a couple folks in here that are up near that area because 
Um, Jordan and Monica, I know are both are up in the Metro East area and worldwide technologies has a huge presence there. And we'll, we'll talk more about them, but um, let's talk a little bit about AT&T and, and what you did there, because um, when, when you hear the term or when you hear the name AT&T, people think phones and um, in different markets across the country, AT&T has different presences. So in St. Louis at that time, they were doing cable television, right? Yep. And yep. so one of the big projects you were on was related to that. And can you maybe just give a little of the tech details about maybe what you did and? Yeah, of- absolutely. So it, it was a really unique, uh, unique process. Um, you know, I'd say my time at, at uh, AT&T, um, you know, it was very structured, right? So you had, you know, it's an old phone company. They've been around forever, right? It, it was really predictable and everything was kind of regimented on, you know, how you got funding for projects and, you know, different things. And it was really tight. And, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, probably 2004 or five, um, they decided that they were going to go after um, um, Spectrum and all the cable providers and provide uh, internet and TV service over, over fiber. And it was something I've never seen before, right? So you had this big giant company that basically just turned on on the the spending spigots and said, whatever you need to get get this project done, uh, you have an open checkbook, right? And so you went from, you know, kind of being nickel and diming um, uh, on, you know, internal projects around maybe database or, you know, phone service, uh, where you had to really screen, you know, kind of pinch pennies to get things done to, you know, basically an open checkbook. Let's buy the biggest arrays. We don't know what's going to go on it biggest storage arrays, biggest uh, networking devices, fill it up, um, working with the application teams that uh, were writing, you know, kind of these, uh, most of it was in Java at the time, but writing these apps that would run on on these servers to kind of come up with a whole new interface and and all these different pieces um, and just trying to figure out how uh, all these different pieces were going together and you had, you know, thousands of people working on this and how do you manage that and, and move it on and, you know, a lot of times, you're in phase two of a project and phase one isn't done yet and you don't really know how to test it. And um, it, it was really interesting to see how, um, you know, when, when a large company like that wants to get something done, um, you know, they can really, really force force the issue and, and just kind of uh, brute force some of these things. And when, when we're talking about like enterprise systems, there's kind of like these three legs to the table. There's the compute, there's the network and the storage. And you got to have all three of those. Um, and, and you chose to, or you were given the opportunity or however it happened, you, you focused on, on storage. Um, and I think, I think with gaming, storage has gotten maybe the, the come up or not the comeuppance, the, you know, the spotlight a little more than it had previously. It was kind of an unsung hero for a long time. Um, with with networking and with uh, CPUs and and graphics cards and stuff being you know the the main focus of people, but but storage now with the development of SSDs is is in the spotlight and people realize how important storage is and really those three legs are are equal. Um, when you're talking and you use the term array, because that's kind of the it's not the, the the building block of of storage, but in an enterprise storage. Um, it's one of these these key uh, terms. What do you mean by array? And, and can you describe maybe a little bit about the storage technologies, what they look like, how big they are, how they work? 
Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. So, you know, here over the last few years, it, it really has changed with SSDs. But if you roll the clock back, uh, you know, 10, 15, uh, even 20 years, uh, everything was was spinning disks, right? So you would have these extremely fast networks, uh, compute, uh, Intel processors were we're always getting faster and the bottleneck was always on, on the data side, right? And so the object of these storage arrays were, were really to tie, you know, a lot of times thousands of these, these spinning disks together and be able to create not only protection, but, but speed, right? And so any time you can get to that data faster, um, you know, that, that really is the key because the, the storage, you know, a lot of times in, in, in that era was, was really the bottleneck, right? So you have these large applications that you would, would tie these storage arrays and they would be using even to the point where, you know, they would just use the very, you know, with, with a spinning disk array, you know, you have a platter, right? And uh, you would do things like co called short stroking, right? So the inside of the, the uh, platter spins faster. So of those thousand disks, the first, you know, platter, the first 10% is always the fastest. So th there were certain instances where you would try to tie all those guys together, right? To get the most speed as possible. Um, so it was always a, a, a you're, you're trying to brute force or, or kind of um, get around kind of the limitations of, of the physical media. Um, and so you had these extremely large arrays that were um, extremely redundant, um, you know, that would not go down. Um, and, and it was really about keeping that data alive and then being able to serve that up um, as, as fast as possible and as, as um, uncorrupted as possible. And, and when we're talking about these arrays, we're talking about like disks, you know, because you may have saw I just reached into my, my desk drawer and pulled out a, a disk. I just replaced a, uh, a disk on my kid's laptop this weekend. And you made a, a good point, you know, the old way of doing things, and, and it's, not, it's not antiquated yet, but spinning disks, you know, spinning disks um, are limited by the speed um, in, in terms of their throughput or their, their data uh, you know, the capacity to send out ones and zeros is limited by the, the speed of the spinning platter head in the arm. And, and so, you know, that was the bottleneck. And, and when we went to having these types of, you know, uh, chips that we were storing data on, there's no more mechanical delay. And so that sped things up quite a bit. And, you know, when, when, when we at are at home and we're thinking about storage, we're thinking on such a small scale. We're thinking about you know the one hard disk that's in our laptop or our desktop or our you know our gaming system, um, and and so we don't really, unless we've taken the classes or or um, you know worked where in a larger environment, understand all the cool things that go on in in storage technology. Like you know the 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 best thing I think I can I can say to explain is, you know if you are at your computer now and you have one disk, your disk can read and write one thing at a time. But if you have a hundred disks and your computer can read and write to a hundred disks at a time, think of that, that speed increase, you know? And, and that's, you know, capacity is what we're trained to think about typically. We're, we think about terabytes and gigabytes and petabytes, but with storage, so much of it is about speed. And the more disks you have, the more you increase your speed. And like you said, there are instances where, you know, if you want to use only the, the 10%, the fastest 10% of the drives, you may have an application where you're 
you're you're building a storage system, and this is you know over uh, uh, over exaggerating maybe, but you might have a system that you've designed and only ever going to use that 10% of each disk because the speed is what's critical, not the capacity. Um, and and with storage technology, the engineers and the engineering has done so much in the last 20 years, 30 years to make things faster. So many cool tricks that happen at the, you know, the bit level in hardware to make storage fast and reliable. Um, and, and I think storage as much as anything else, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I've gotten a little bit of training in storage and taught some classes. So I kind of think of it as the unsung hero. Um, but I think it's contributed as, as, as much, if not more, to like the, the boom of cloud technologies um, than anything else. You know, the speed increase um, and the, the decrease in cost. Um, so you've, you know, both of us have had this opportunity, you, you on the, the implementation side of, yep. of, of seeing virtualization and data center virtualization and cloud technologies boom um and grow to what they are today because we both started when when you were at a facility and you had a server off in the closet and that was running your you know your day-to-day -day operations that server and that closet or that 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 little data room and today that's just a small part of the the big picture um let's let's move a little bit on to uh let's let's tell us about wwt because i i want to I want to get the word out about this company because because I think it's really cool and yeah. um, being in in this area and so close to it and having so many students from the Metro East. Um, tell us a little bit about WWT. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so they have a huge presence in Edwardsville as well. They've got a giant warehouse up there that is basically as big as that Amazon warehouse. Right. And, and, and really, that is really just around the logistics side of the business. So one of the things worldwide really excels at is is the logistics side so as they've done a lot of work with at&t over the years microsoft exxon mobile so as they're rolling out these projects being able to use that edwardsville uh, facility to kind of pre-cable pre-build burn in testing and then ship out whole racks of gear right and so a lot of times what would happen um at these uh, large enterprises is you get you know, the simplest example is you get, you know, five OEMs with different products, 60 boxes. You got five different uh, engineers, hands-on engineers that would go in and, and build these things out and, uh, you know, in the in the customer's data center. Um, and it's a, a long drawn out process. So being able to, to bring that in-house and, and have WWT just use from the logistics side, do all that work up front, do the cabling, the labeling, um, and then you get a kind of a, a turnkey product that rolls into your data center. You plug it in and go. Um, <clears throat> was a, it was uh, definitely a, a large growth area for, for worldwide over the year, and that's kind of one of the first places they got their start. So there's that side of the, the business. Uh, there's the the side that I was on was uh, really around the architectural side, so helping customers come up with what those those architectures look like that are get built out. Um, and then also on, on the same kind of side, there is the testing of that, right? So uh, Worldwide made a huge investment in their advanced technology center. Um, what they found was if you would talk to any vendor, uh, you know, they're going to have great slideware. They're going to promise that the product's going to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, what we really focused on was, was proving that out and testing it, right? So 
building out the latest architecture with uh, you know that's connected to the cloud and how it's going to replicate and and really try to to um, kind of define what these what these architectures are going to look like and just verify that it's going to work the way that we think it's going to work and then it can roll out to that Edwards facility and, and just you know turn into a, a kind of like a factory like you have a template we've got 50 locations needs to go in um, and then we can build it out there um, so there, there was that side of, biz, of the business and worldwide really focuses on um, the top I would say 500 uh, uh, companies in the world so fortune 500 um, and they're a privately held company so it's a really unique place to work just because um, if you look at all the, our OEM partners and, and uh, even other vendors that are other uh, competitor bars, you know, that are public, uh, they're always worried about, you know, closing the deal or, or getting, you know, things done to, to make a profit that quarter. Uh, Worldwide was really unique because they were thinking kind of in, in, in one to five year increments. So they were really there to make investments with, uh, with our customers. So if I look at like the uh, one of the large projects I worked on around CyberVault uh, that you know really that um, wasn't a product that any of our partners were doing. Um, that was an 18 month project with like Exxon Mobil to kind of define what that looks like. And so from Worldwide's perspective, they you know they weren't making any money or selling any product or uh, doing any services on that for 18 months as we helped design that and architected that. And so that was really an investment that Worldwide was making into Exxon, you know, providing expertise around networking, storage, security, um, and all these different aspects to, to build this up and design it. And then with the thought that, you know, if, if, we were, if we're a good long-term partner with Exxon, um, you know, all that will kind of come out in the end. And uh, it really did over the years, right? You know, we saw that uh, time and time again, where, where you make those investments, you're, you're really there to help the customer, help them be a third set of eyes, um, it just makes it a, a really unique relationship that they don't don't really get anywhere else. And Worldwide Technologies, WWT, does everything. I mean, they can be your complete like solution provider um, for for larger enterprises, and um, that's 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 pretty cool. It, it we've we've had a couple students go there. Uh, it, it seems like a, a really neat place to work. Um, and, and when we started talking a couple of years ago, one of the projects you were working on, like you mentioned, was this, this cyber vault and, um, you know, the, the, what, what I tell students a lot is one of the things that, that has scared me the most, um, in it has been ransomware and yeah. ransomware, you know, we've, we've watched it start out and, and grow to where it, it is today with ransomware being one of the biggest threats that's out there um, to our, our data and information security and privacy, because now you've got not only ransomware, but you've got extortion, you've got destruction. Um, it's just a terrible, terrible problem that we're dealing with. And you were working on this, this cyber vault project. Um, and, and since we know you've got, a, you know, you got you to be done pretty soon, maybe just wrap up by telling us what the heck is a cyber vault? How does that deal with ransomware problems? What was your involvement? Yep. Um, tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, to your point, we, we really saw ransomware. I mean, it's been around forever, right? But, you know, really from an enterprise perspective, we, you know, the, the pipeline that got hit, you know, it was just kind of all of the news. We, we had some large customers get hit both on the federal side and, and commercial side. 
And so you, the first thing that you look at is, um, uh, all right, do we have a backup, right? You know, everything should be backed up. How do we get, how do we get back online, right? And then how do we verify that those backups are valid and are infected as well, right? And so what we found is, is some of the larger actors were, were kind of going after those backup infrastructures. Uh, some of these things were set in dormant for six, eight, um, almost a year before they would kick off. And so you had you had to go back to a, a year's worth of data that that were in these backups. And if if you're in a database and, and you have to roll it back a year, is that data any good anyway, right? Uh, if you lose it a year. So what we kind of focus on is is kind of the cyber vault concept. And so it, it's basically taking a, a, a you know take an application that lives that's a mission critical application for like Exxon, you know, what keeps the, the pumps on, uh, keeps them pumping oil, right? And so say it's a database. So is there a way that we can replicate that database into a, a bunker facility that gets air gap from the environment um, and gets locked down and that we can run additional security scans on, right? So the goal there really is to take your, your really top mission critical um, applications that, that run your business, get a replicated copy nightly into a, a vault or a location that's air gap from everything else. Um, so if you do have uh, an issue where uh, you did get hit with ransomware, you have another copy where you can either do for forensics on that's offline um, or that you can re restore from. Right. Um, and what we found is, is, you know, there was a, a, a huge use case for that. Right. Um, and we, it, it was as big as, you know, some of the larger customers. If you think about like Exxon, for example, if, if they're, you know, Aren't, if they're not able to produce oil, uh, especially now with the price of oil, you know, they're losing, you know, billions of dollars um, in, in a week or two, right? And so to make a hundred, you know, a hundred million dollar investment in this architecture to get it back up within in days is, is, is a, a no brainer. And, and a lot of times these applications we can bring back online in an hour in kind of an enclave that's offline. Um, and it even got to the point where, you know, with, with our larger customers, you're talking about, uh, you know, voice systems and, and, you know, locations for where, uh, how you're going to remote into it, how are your different operators going to be able to get access to it? Do you have, you know, physical facilities locations where people are going to be able to go to, to access this data? And so it's really about, you know, locking down your data, making a copy of it, taking it offline. So if there is an emergency, you have processes in place to, to bring it, bring it up and, and, and back online. So this cyber vault is part of uh, of a company's BCDR um, business continuity disaster recovery program. Um, it's one aspect of it, and and so you're talking about the ability for a company to to mirror what they're doing now to another remote facility that can be closed off from the threats. You know, because if 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 your production database that's helping me pump gas, you know, or or, or receive, um, you know, payments or, or your medical records, if that gets hit with ransomware and, and, you know, it can't be used by the people who need to use it, then the business shuts down. I mean, think about, like, if you go to the emergency room and, and you've got allergies to, to certain medicines and you can't talk and all of a sudden your medical records are offline because your, your hospital got hit by ransomware, you know, that's, that's not just money, that's life or death now. Um, and, and so the cyber vault and, and business continuity and disaster recovery for technology is, is critical today. You know, we don't oftentimes think about how important some of these things are. We, 
you know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy the way the world has changed, but it's, it, it is what it is. And, and so you, your role has been to help design the storage components um, to allow, and again, we go back to the engineers have done so many cool things with storage technologies to make them highly available, redundant, um, fast. And, and so you've got these giant databases that are, you know, global in scale in some cases, you know, what, I mean, what, what are we talking about in, in terms of the scale? How big are some of these things? How, how many disks, how many petabytes, yeah. you know, what, what is kind of like your, your, you know, what do you work with in terms yeah, of enterprise architecture? Yeah, it's definitely on the petabyte scale, right? And so a lot of times that that's the first question is is really about uh, how much data you have, how many petabytes are we dealing with? Is it even physically uh, possible, right? Just the speed of light is your limiting factor. How much data can you pump into these locations in a 24-hour window? Um, you know, you're really fighting physics a lot of times. And so usually you're talking about petabytes, right? And, and um, you know, the first part is really scaling that down as much as possible, really understanding what the, what the mission critical apps are, um, because the, the skinnier you can get that data set, the easier it is to replicate, to bring back online, uh, do the testing. Um, so you do a lot of app discovery, things, things along those lines to, to really figure that out and then figure out what your technology is and what those links are going to look like. Um, and, and those links are open and that's kind of a threat window. So you're really trying to air gap this as much as possible. So you want those links off as much as possible to keep that uh, air gapped. Um, so, you know, that's another discussion on, on what those replication windows look like, um, who's going to have access to them and th things along those lines. Neat. And, and a lot of, a lot of cool terms and, and, you know, a disaster recovery and business continuity is a, a course in itself, a full semester course in itself. Um, you know, this idea of, of air gapping, of taking your data. I mean, think of that. The, the, the production data and, and everything that you use to run your business has to be online, but you want to air gap it. You want to make it so that nobody can get to it. Well, how the heck do you transfer? You know, you're not putting it on a flash drive and walking it over to another computer system. You've got to have, you know, some sort of a trade-off between being completely isolated and still being able to replicate to it. Um, so a lot of moving parts and a lot of things, you know, that, that, that went into that. So you, you helped with this, this design for or this template for a cyber vault, which allows companies to, to have this bunker, this resiliency for their mission critical applications and, and worldwide technologies created that. And now that cyber vault kind of template is, is replic replicated, uh, is used or modeled all over the, the world, sort of? Yeah, yeah. All our customers are kind of looking for a flavor of that. So the, the biggest guys are, are, you know, kind of doing petabytes of data, bringing whole sites up. Our smaller customers, like you said, a hospital, you know, maybe it's just part of the data, the, the medical records get offline. Um, so they're, they're doing a scaled down version of that template, but, it, but the overall framework's the same. What we found is a lot of times, what, what's really changed uh, here in the last, you know, 18 months is, uh, almost all these large customers had uh, insurance, like ransomware insurance, and it was a, a pretty easy thing to, to get. And, and, you know, there wasn't much effort into it. But as soon as the insurance customers, uh, companies had to pay out some of these large payouts, 
um, they really started asking more questions about really what what does your plan look like, right? And so it wasn't just a, you couldn't just buy a blanket policy and get paid out if you got hit. Um, they were asking, you know, what does your vault look like? What does your replication window look like? You know, really a lot more technical questions. And they weren't signing off on policies unless they had these frameworks in place. Um, so it, they, there wasn't an easy button for, for our customers. And, and it, it was really harder on some of the, the hospitals and uh, customers that are trying to run a little bit thinner that, that IT is their, their core business, mm-hmm. um, th- that they need to figure this out and, and do something that's, that um, is, is repeatable and that they can get the side off that it, it meets all the insurance policy um, demands. And that's, that's a, a good point. Um, you know, organizations where IT is not the core business, you know, and, and many, and, and, a, and most organizations, you know, they're not IT organizations. IT is a, you know, a cost center. It's a, and it's an expense, but it, it enables the business, but it's an expense and it's, it's often seen that way. That's another thing I think that's cool working with a company like Worldwide Technologies is, is that IT is the business. And so you're focused on that and you get to learn and work with a lot of technology um, and, and bouncing around from vendor to vendor. And, and you've gotten to travel a lot. Um, let's let's kind of wrap this up on a, well, I have five, five rapid fire questions for you. But, but tell us a little bit about, you know, where you've gone, some of the cool things you've done working with the WWT. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was about uh, supporting some of our, our federal customers. So I was over in uh, uh, Germany a couple of times, um, helped kind of grow out our um, um, European office. So spent some time in London, um, three or four trips over there to help, help um, the teams over there get up to speed. Uh, kind of every major city, um, stateside as well. Um, you know, it was just a, you really got to see a, a hodgepodge of different customers, different styles of IT. Um, and for me, it kind of helped because, you know, everyone kind of does something a little different, but then I have that in my background that I can help other customers with um, as a way. So it really afforded me a, a, a great opportunity to kind of see the world. Um, and, and I really appreciated that. Awesome. So anybody have any questions for JC before I do my rapid fire? All right. Uh, so, so I've modeled this after the Paul's Security Weekly five questions. So number one, what's your favorite restaurant, food, cuisine? What do you like to eat? Uh, I'm definitely a barbecue guy. Um, that was a big advantage of traveling, you know, hitting Austin, Casey a bunch um, down in Texas. You know, you can kind of compare all these different Different style, so I'm definitely a barbecue guy. What's your favorite? It's actually here in town in Waterloo. There's a little place here that does a really good brisket. Um, it's just he's really good. What's it called? Uh, it's called uh, Smoky Bees. Smoky Bees. All right. What uh, do you have any podcast, books, movies, TV, anything recommended that you'd like to tell us? Uh, you got your interest, caught your interest recently that's technology related. No, I mean, I'm just really, uh, man, I am so addicted to YouTube just from those little hits of five or 10 minute tech videos, right? Um, it, you know, podcasts as well. But but for me, I've been watching just a ton of YouTube where you get five, 10 minutes on a topic, get some experts on there, um, just a hodgepodge, right? Anywhere from security to, to, to networking to what's coming on storage, um, you know, and, and uh, YouTube does a pretty good job of once you kind of start going down a rabbit hole, they just start feeding you more. 
more, more of what content. you want. More of what <laughs> right? you want. They're inside your brain. I know it's pretty bad, but uh, I, I spent a lot of time on, on there for sure. Is there a uh, technology that you would like to learn about for work or, or personal that you haven't yet or that you have your eyes on? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a, a, a lot of uh, backup appliances. So as I was doing the um, um, Cyber Vault stuff, you know, like Cohesity, Rubric, there's these kind of turnkey solutions that are doing a, a lot of the stuff that we were doing on a large scale in, in kind of an appliance. Um, and so I've been talking to some of those vendors. I might end up going to, to one of those to, to work uh, when I kind of come out of my sabbatical, just because it, it it's a turnkey solution that kind of builds everything into a hyper-converged little, little platform that does everything that we were doing on these, in these large data centers. And then you just kind of scale up from there as you get bigger. So there's a, so definitely some interesting things going along, along in that space. That's pretty cool. Um, so the, the next two, uh, you may have already kind of answered, but how do you think your role or career will change over the next five to 10 years? No, that's a great question. I think everything's more cloud enabled, uh, more, more platforms are moving to the cloud. Um, and then security is, is top of mind for, for everything, right? And, and how, how it's gonna be protected. Um, so security is definitely getting integrated in more of these architectures. And then there's definitely more cloud, cloud involved in how do you get your data from these different islands of uh, kind of pods of, of data silos in, into a single source, single uh, truth source, either in the cloud, or how do you get things down to the edge where the users are actually out if, the, if your data does rely in the, in the cloud. So that's definitely where I see things going. And lastly, to wrap up, if you, and this maybe isn't even applicable, but if you were to retire today <laughs> and you could do anything you wanted, what would you do? I'd move to a farm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> awesome you're on your way thank you very much last call guys any any questions for jc all right thanks jc appreciate it as always let me know when you're passing through all right all right we'll do good to see you tom take care man see you see you guys later